these pimples? Can I just fucking win? I mean, you're about to talk about guns and you're reacting to a pimple. Yeah. It's a real you segue. Win, you poor fucking thing. You know, it's I a real segue so issue right now. It's oh, a wow. real segue issue. And these are my very best friends. This is the way I'm being treated. <laughs> you love really? you enough to be honest and upfront. Shut up about your no, 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 no. Don't use this excuse to be nasty. I have a pimple. Uh huh. What does that have to do with the something another of milk okay. in Asia? We, we go. Wait up. <laughs> you wanna, do you wanna do you wanna work on your metaphors and then let us know when you're right here? <laughs> the price of tea in China is that what yes, you're that's what I'm saying. Okay, great. I don't know what that's okay. about. What is that? <laughs> in any fucking case. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Outrageous, a podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friends, Trisha in LA. Hello. And Jason in DC. Hey there. Hi, everyone. Great to see you. Great to see you both. How is it going? Good. Wonderful. Really good. Love that. Oh, thank God. Because usually Jason will be like, oh, I'm really depressed. Everything sucks. And then Trisha will be like, I'm being threatened by the arts or something. I'm just so glad everyone's doing well. That's nice, isn't it? Isn't this a great way to start off the podcast? Yay! Right. Wow. Yeah, that's a that positive little... reinforcement. Well, that's I have to from... say, listeners... It's a little too much for me, though. Okay. Now, <laughs> listeners... <laughs> We're recording in the morning, which usually makes a really great episode. Because usually when we we record at night, you know, Trisha's falling asleep. We have to poke Jason. But uh, but I'm I'm expecting scintillating conversation from everybody. Anyway, and you just set that expectation with the listener to only disappoint. Right, right. And bushy tail. So good. It's I look fine. good. I look good. Well, well, I feel good. You look great. It's I have fantastic. coffee. Oh, good. You look fantastic. You you we we talked about this before the, the call started. How great we all look! Uh, I love that about us. Uh, what's new with people? I'm in the process of um, sorting through finding an apartment. I am moving, trying to move. How is that going? Uh we need realtors for a rental. You do. I, you apparently, do. Yeah. I'm really thinking I could do the whole Zillow app, the whole thing, and just very rogue about it. Because maybe I'm reminding myself of being in my 20s. That's but... what I was going to say. Like, <laughs> can I ask you a question? Do you have the time for that? Because I know I wouldn't. I kind of have been enjoying it. Like, I've, like, enjoyed, like, coming home. Um, by coming home, I mean leaving my Zoom space and then moving into my living room space. Oh, and... that modern, <laughs> that contemporary definition of coming home. Turning off Zoom. Yeah. During leaving my, commute, my Zoom, bay. yeah, my commute from slamming my commute into is my living room, slamming my um, laptop down is my commute. Exactly, <laughs> and I've just like enjoyed pulling up my phone and like dreaming, right? Because that's one of the things about looking for a new place to live. There's a kind of dream aspect to it too, right? So I'm like strolling through, looking at different pictures and thinking of possibilities, and then going, "I'd like to see this, please." Setting up an appointment, going to see it, but you're right. It's now suddenly verged into the Hunger Games because we went and saw this beautiful place and up on arrival, there was a set price and someone came and said, I like it, $500 more. And it was over. 
We're having the same experience. You know, we hope to buy a house. I am very skeptical really? when we we'll succeed at that. It's just like that. I mean, it, it's happened so many times. We go and see something. Oh, this is really nice. The next day, someone offered like, and for us, it's like, maybe we could afford this. I don't know. And then the next day, someone offers 200 grand on top of the listing price, plus offers to forego an inspection. I mean, that's the norm here. Not, and I, there's like, there's no way I'm doing that. That would ruin me. It's that's totally true gross. because this, the other person, listen, we were looking at the space and we're like, this is kind of uncapped a little bit. Can it be cleaned up? The person's like, no need to clean it. We'll do it ourselves. So of course, I mean, I have to understand the person who's renting this space will be like, thanks. And immediately go, I want this person, right? Like, there's no care factor in none of that is happening. It's cold-blooded. <laughs> I mean, real estate is not, especially in the cities we live, forget about it. Like, so, yeah. I thought people were leaving cities. Not not what I'm seeing. Uh, rents are skyrocketing. It's wild. Jason, I didn't know you were trying to, I didn't know you were trying to buy a house. How? With all those kids. I know. It's awful. We've been trying for more than a year. That should tell you something. It's oh, wow. uh Wow. And I, I I am at a point where I have a bit of a, a, a socialist uh, strain where I'm like, you know what? People should not be people should not be allowed to own more than one house because it's just okay. it just squeezes us all. No, we're all squeezed. They're all people who are homeless, people like us trying to find a new place. And like people own lots of stuff they're barely in. Mm. I, mean, I do a... have a problem with that. I don't know how we, obviously, in this, I'm going to be capitalist um, Trisha right now, but in this space, I would like to figure out how we actually make that exchange happen. Like, which is, why is this empty? How do I get in yes. this, please? Like, what is the, what is the incentive structure? You know what the answer I is? I could tilt. <laughs> this isn't, it's, it's a lever, but rich people need to pay taxes. They need yeah. to pay appropriate taxes. Then they won't have the money to buy all these extra places that they don't need because they're doing it to get further tax breaks to not pay tax. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's but even if you were to do that, even if you were to do that, because listen, I know there's a, they're, they're selfish drives, then at least have a guarantee that it's going to be filled, right? If you're going to have to buy all these places, can you at least make sure that you fulfill your, <laughs> your, your well, social obligation? Listen, you, you I... fulfilled by your social obligation by not leaving it empty? I like but, that. You should have to either rent it out, Airbnb, like someone's got to okay. be in the place or or you lose it. Okay, 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 <laughs> okay. I'm going to ask you both to step back from the ledge. Well, I don't know what, I don't know what economic and social system you're describing, but okay. like. We don't, we're not describing one. We're not <laughs> describing a known known, but all we're saying, listen, I'm also not, I'm not going as far as Jason by saying you can only buy one property, but I am simply saying. And then if you, and then if you buy another one, don't inhabit it, you'll be arrested. No, like, not arrested. No, but no, I would just, just take it. Just take it. Okay. 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 We're not Someone's property, going Jason. in there. Stop it. We're not I mean, why is that crazy? I don't think that's Jason, crazy. Jason, you can't take people's shit. Not a thing. It's your property. You bought it. You can just... do whatever you want. What I'm saying is, listen, I believe in incentives. I'd like us to create an incentive culture for renting or letting other people occupy your space in some format so that it doesn't exist empty. You know, empty properties are really sad when you see, you know, it's just like there's got to be some incentive structure built in to allow people to fill that space. Well, like, again, I I'm, I don't want to repeat myself, but like, I think taxes are the answer. I think if you I have mean, a second well, and a third home have, and a fourth How home, long have we been trying taxes, Chris? No, no, no. no. <laughs> we, ha we actually have to try it. 
You know what I mean? Like okay. we we we, we, <laughs> we have have least, how long we've been we've never tried the it. IRS, maybe maybe it'll it'll work. Yeah, you know, I think we'll have to have a revolution before that. Well, I don't know about that, but we'll have but, to see what the data said. The data says the IRS actually does not utilize its resources to go after the people you think it does or to go yeah, yeah. To, to, right? I think that's My what the data had said. about this constantly. He's like, thanks yeah, for the think, IRS. You know what they're going to do? They're going after waitresses now to get their yeah. tip. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, I mean, it's, 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 I think that's actually what the data has said. I think it was a ProPublica report, if I'm not mistaken, about what the disparate amounts of whoever gets targeted for IRS yeah. work I, different I, than what you would um, expect. <laughs> I I run a business and mm-hmm. so I had to declare stuff like you know to mm-hmm. deduct stuff the anxiety around line by line like oh what was this flight for no I better <laughs> not deduct this because I'm so terrified of being audited meanwhile Elon Musk is like oh, I'm not paying any taxes <laughs> <laughs> it's just well, do, so I, unfair well it's I done do but it's done legally though because he has a team that I mean, makes sure well, that he does everything that's that he true to do i mean that's well. the problem is how legal it is for wealthy people to not pay taxes i mean the whole you know trump's tax return came out and it's like yeah he hasn't paid taxes but it was legal because he was able to yeah you know say i lost you know i had all these business losses like just don't finish your decide to lose do you all finish your taxes you're done no so i have ours delayed in january we do I, ours I mean, in we january? do ours the second we get them <sighs> i no, love I'm that that's really I good. I'm consistently, I always have to give in money to to make it, to do it later. Yeah, I always have I to ask for an extension. I'm an extension land right now. Um, yeah, although your taxes are much more complicated being a business owner. Like, I, I've seen that world. That's really complicated. I mean, I, I, I guess my accountant thinks so. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> I, mean, I go on TurboTax. I go on TurboTax and just knock I it out. Minor my tax person is just too busy. So I'm always, we always get Yeah, like, it's the same it. thing. He's way too busy. Um, I'm going to get a call sometime mid-May. And be like, okay, so this is what you owe. I'm the like, worst is that I will start setting up that appointment in November and I'm still too late. I'm like, when are you all picking up appointments? I don't know what they do, but they don't turn on the messages until the next year. And I think they must go through them in some random order. And I was like, we will not see this until April of next year. Thank okay. you for your message. All right, let's <laughs> let's move into topic. So we so I want to start framing this through the show that the upcoming show, Greece, Rise of the Pink Ladies, was advertised to me very aggressively because the <laughs> algorithm thought I would like shows like this. Uh, in the show, it's the prequel to Greece showing how that group, the Pink Ladies, uh, fun fact, I've never seen the movie Greece, how the what? pinks I know. Shut up. You just saw Hamilton three weeks ago. So <laughs> it's a prequel you of how the pink ladies on Long Island in the eighties, and you didn't see. Gr- how is that? I feel like I just I feel like you could it. like walk down the street without seeing. Gr- I just I also didn't see the Goonies, which makes me a temporal uh, a, a temporal anomaly. So again, Rise of the Pink Ladies is the prequel to Greece, showing how the pink ladies, like the group that rules the school, came to being. So it takes place <laughs> in I think the nineteen fifties. If this is a prequel to Greece, it would have to be the early 50s, correct? It takes place in the 1950s and follows these four characters. Now, when I was looking at the casting for this, they have Black and Asian and Latino people in the cast, which uh, I, I dug this up, an interview with the casting directors who said they actually went through yearbooks back in the day to get the demographics right for the shots. And I appreciate the work that they put into doing what is essentially colorblind casting. However, what I was thinking in this world where like critical race theory and even discussions about race are being attacked, I feel a certain way about revisiting points in the past 
to tell stories that include people of color without the context of how those people might have been treated in that time period. Am I being too precious about media? Well, yes, I always am on this show. I know this isn't a documentary, but I do feel like it is giving some sort of instruction that is going to land in an environment where we don't have any countervalence or any counterbalancing information. Am I thinking about this too much? Am I making too much about nothing? What do you think? Can I ask you a quick a quick question back? Do you feel the same way about Bridgerton? Right, it, it is very similar, right? And I wonder about this. Both the casting director, uh, they were interviewed in Variety. What they said was, you know, they wanted actors who had big Grease energy, which was the understanding that watching the movie Grease, it's a heightened reality. It's not reality. It's a reality fever dream. Similar to Bridgerton, that's a reality fever dream. I don't know. I don't know. Do I feel the same way about Bridgerton? Possibly. Possibly. Just because when Bridgerton arrived... We weren't having the kinds of conversations that we're having in society now. I mean, now we're talking about banning black history, you know, black fraternities and sororities are under fire in Florida. Like, I'm just thinking there's a lot of information. Books are being banned. Like about trans and queer people, we've always fought that battle. But just now, you know, books that celebrate people of different ethnicities are being banned. So I think if Bridgerton was being announced today, I might think about it differently. Patricia, where are you? My sensibilities around this has changed since Bridgerton came out. I think the reason why is I think it's, I think we're getting a little messy and we're blurring a couple of things, right? So the reason why I celebrated Bridgerton was just because I wanted to see folks of color get jobs, first and foremost. Like okay. I want folks of people, to, I want people of color to get jobs. And I think it's always, and I obviously, my sibling is a actress, so I think about the kinds of fun things that they want to do. And usually black folks are on screen doing weird things at times, limited things. So I, if they, you know, I want them to have expansive roles. So that's like, but that's separate from the storytelling, right? That's separate from the storytelling and how they could be better served. I think what I've moved on from is like, I don't want that market pressure for jobs to allow us to insert black people in spaces that they did not exist in. And like really change the nature of the dynamics of the conversations that need to happen in the telling of the tale. Like it's not just insert Black person. Like I just don't think I really want to see those kinds of things. I think where I've come to is Black people did exist in those periods. Let us tell stories about the Black people who were alive in that period and mm -hmm. let's shape it well. And that's what I'd rather see. I'd want to see meaty things. <laughs> And this is, this is interesting because I feel like we all have somewhat different perspectives. My my feeling is I am totally fine with a Grease prequel or Bridgerton, something like that, a, a kind of fantasy like that. I'm totally fine rewriting the racial dynamics and, and having characters that wouldn't actually have been, th that historically there weren't people of those backgrounds, those appearances, um, those ethnicities in those roles. I'm totally fine with it. I think it, this may be overstating it, but maybe increases the chances that there's more, you know, equality or acceptance or whatever today. So I'm fine with it. I, I do, I am bothered, you know, if something does present itself as a documentary or even as historical fiction or something that like presents itself as more representative of what actually happened, like that would bother me. I don't mean to take this in a different direction, but I, I happen to see a trailer recently. I haven't done a lot of reading on it, but I guess there's a, a series coming out that's presented as a documentary produced by Jada Pinkett Smith about Cleopatra 
and I noticed that the actress is black. And I, to me, that and I'm no expert here, but my understanding is Cleopatra was, you know, a colonizer. I mean, she was of Greek, 100% Greek ethnicity, and but what you know was born in Egypt because her grandparents colonized it. Like that, to me, feels wrong and like not good. But something like a Greece prequel or Bridgerton, like I'm, I'm totally fine with that. I, I don't see a lot of harm to it, and. I think Trisha, you've just mentioned things I hadn't thought about about some of the benefits from a market perspective. I'm, I'm okay with it. Wait, but hold on a second. <clears throat> we've we've had this conversation before about like when we're talking about Abbott Elementary, about documentaries and fiction. And yes, okay, so yes, on a on a definition level, yes. But like, what are we always saying? Media is really instructive. I just think about like the old movie. What was that Ben Hur? Like those yeah. old movies back then where it was all white people playing the like a cast of Egyptians and stuff. Um, yeah. Or even today, like the fact that, you know, back in the day, just the way Jesus is depicted as like a white man, that sips into the consciousness of our society. And especially now, because this, this is my point. Now we're at this new, well, we're at the, we're, we've come back around again to banning knowledge. It's, it's too easy to say like, well, this is a documentary and this is just a show. The weight of all of these shows, showing all these people of color in the past, will instruct a generation to think differently about the past. So like if we have shows with like Black people in the 30s and 40s going about their business and no one's interacting with their identity, you know, there's a generation of people who will grow up on those shows be like, well, I hear that things are bad for Black people, but I don't really have that sense, right? They lose the historical sense of this. The casting director for Pink Ladies had said like, you know, a quote was there, these things, shows are never going to be 100% historically accurate. And sometimes that leads to better storytelling. Look at Hamilton. I was like, okay, first of all, you're comparing this show to Hamilton work. Like, I love your confidence around that. However, you know, what Hamilton was doing was a really specific investigation into race and identity, right? Which was like on its face, slipping in people of color into these roles without any context about their identity, I think is just, I just think it's dangerous. I don't know. Jason, I want to ask you about the production at your kid's school. So my kid's middle school, they are performing every year. They do an eighth grade uh, musical um, that all the eighth graders are in. And this year they're doing one called Moana Jr., which I don't know everything about it, but apparently it's a it's a telling of Moana. It's a musical. And my son actually came home one day and was really like kind of agitated. And he said he was really upset that they had cast I guess, you know, the students could express, I want to do this, or I want to do that, and they auditioned for it. And the girl who was cast as Moana was white. And so he was he was like, isn't that crazy, Dad? Like, that's so frustrating. And it was interesting. I kind of had two different reactions. One was, okay, there's way too, historically, way too much of, like, you know, white people getting to be cast in any role, and, you know, people of color don't get to be in, you know, starring roles and that kind of thing, and here we have a character of color. Yeah, that, you know, why, why would we, you know, cast a white girl on that when there are kids of color, there are girls of color, there are kids of color who who auditioned for that part. But then, you know, I thought about it and I was like, you know, Moana, all the, you know, all the characters are Polynesian. And I said to Judah, to my son, I wasn't trying to be, you know, I said to my son, you don't have any Polynesian students at your school, do you? And he said, no. And I said, well, that's interesting. I mean, so uh, you're upset about a white girl being cast, but I mean, who would you suggest be cast? And he didn't really have like a solid and answer. Who would, that. And, and who said, would you be? And who would you be in the play? You know, Judah, you know what right. I'm saying? Like, what, and, and, what are and, you doing? 
And then he kind of, his point was kind of, and then and I also said, oh, what about all the other characters? <laughs> like all of you are going to be playing Polynesian characters, and you know he kind of where he got stuck on, which again I I'm sympathetic to, is like we have this is the starring role, so I kind of get it, um, his point of view. But I I my where I landed was, you know what, they shouldn't be putting this on because I there's no way you don't end up doing brown face or Polynesian face or whatever you want to call so it. So like, this that that was where I landed. This is the problem, right? And this is the question I have for you, Trisha, because you're so wise. My, <laughs> my, my stance is, listen, if you want to revisit these periods of time, the 19th century, the 1950s, right? Either tell the story that you want to tell, right? And do it as accurately as possible. And if that includes an, an all-white cast and you're not comfortable with that optic, then don't do it. Find another story to tell, Right? However, but then the flip side of that is, well, does that mean that unless we have perfect, perfect one-on-one -on -one, like diversity roles cast, right? Does that mean that certain art forms and things are just out of reach for non-diverse communities? I don't know where I fall on that side. Trisha, what do you think? Well, I mean, I, I'm going to come back a little bit to a point you made about Hamilton, yeah. which, um, you know, our, fab, our fearless Toni Morrison reportedly hated Hamilton okay. so much so that she helped fund a play called The Haunting of Lin-Manuel Miranda. It was sort of like a Dickinsonian kind of all the founding fathers revisited Hamilton, um, revisited Lin-Manuel and got him to think about the ways that he had left things on the cutting room floor in terms of who these people had been. I guess one of the things that we have to make some distinctions about is what are we doing in the piece, right? I think for a documentary, there are obviously clear things that you can do, you need to do, because like people receive documentaries differently. In a world that sees everything as content, to your point, Chris, now I understand why people aren't making distinctions around documentaries. But frankly, I think it's fair to tell the story of the people and actually write them how they have haven't been written before like to your point about whether should you just put an all-white cast together i'm like yes put an all-white cast together and talk about the people who were there as well you could put black people or you could put folks of color more broadly into that story they existed it's just going to really shift your perception of those people that had been valorized before. So we've seen that in photography, right? Like, what about that photo, that famous photo? I think I've been thinking about it a lot. I'm going to forget the name of it, but it's the one with the founding, one of the founding fathers, Jefferson. And then it, ha it it's like a rolled film. And then behind the scenes is, is, his, is his slave, right? The, the piece is called Enough About You. Maybe it's enough about you. Is that what it's called? Yeah, okay. it's it's a it's a frame around the slave child, and the founding fathers. The rest of the picture is crumpled up. Yeah, really there's cool. that there's that one, but then there's actually one where you roll the painting back, and it is the that it is um it is I'm sure Sally Hemming. So I think there are these ways to approach the story with a modern sensibility that allows you to see these people differently. And I think what I'm what I actually think is happening by 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 putting in folks of color is that you actually are doing it lazily. It's actually a lazy way to do it, because what you want to do is you want to continue to valorize these people. And then you give yourself permission to valorize them by making it a person of color. 
right? I think that is a very solid critique of Hamilton. You could, you don't really actually want to make people see the full complexity of who Hamilton was, particularly around the slavery issue. So by mm-hmm. having a person of color play him, you then get to have that person of color on screen actually do labor for you. You dodge the conversation. Entirely. You dodge the conversation entirely because the black or brown person is doing labor. You're watching a black and brown person do a thing on screen and hold all this complexity. And so you get to sort of say, oh, see, black people are really complex and nuanced, but you actually never talk about the fact that at that period in time, we were not given that complexity and so nuance. Hamilton, so then Hamilton is also, we're lumping in with these other things. So what do, we do, what do we do with art then? Like, this, what's all this gatekeeping? Like, what do we, how do we I don't even want, I don't even want to gatekeep. I think the, the fundamental thing that art is supposed to do is to be a little bit of a truth teller. And so the question for me is, what a are you trying? Bit. A little bit. That's, but um, I think that's key to your point. No, a little bit of truth telling. Like, what I'm asking you to do is, what is the truth you want to tell? And how do you, how do you interrogate your own desires in what you're trying to do? As an artist, you should be willing to stand as an artist and say, you know what, these are the limitations of what I'm trying to confront. I got some parts of it right and I got some parts of it wrong. And this is what I've put out here. You don't have to have this blanket thing where you've done everything right. I think so it's fine for this person to say they're doing a hyper-realized version of Greece. And so therefore they're trying to pick sensibilities and that now allows them to have a more diverse cast. Mm -hmm. Right. That's a wonderful thing, but always keep saying that and always make that the context of what you're trying to do. But realize that a hyper-realized world could also confront racism in a really stark way, but usually it's to dodge mm-hmm. difficult topics. But the, the question I want to put on the table is like getting back to Jason's son's thing. Should they just not do Moana because like ethnically they can't mount the show in a way that isn't going to be, I don't want to use the word offensive, but isn't going to be, isn't going to raise an eyebrow. Have alternates. Alternate what? Alternate I mean, how, how, many, how, many, how, how many showings are they doing? I think just two, actually. I mean, one of the things that's interesting, right? Nobody has an offense. I mean, this is going to sound weird. I'm Listen, it's a kid's play. No one's going to get offended if someone's playing a shark. I mean, like, what? I mean, like. You know, it's like, a, a great. By the point. way, that was one of the like jokes because they, they do. They're That's like, I don't point. know, I don't know if you, you know if you ever saw Moana. Like the the ocean is like a character, and there are there is I think a kid playing the ocean. So that became like a joke. Like my, even my son was like, "Well, let that kid play the ocean." <laughs> I think, but I, I I think this is one of those moments where I want to say that this is something I really struggle with because I do think that this is one of those moments where people start accusing you of limiting an experience now, right? Because now Mm -hmm. you've shut down an experience. And I think that this is just a little bit of a failure of imagination and context. It's like, you're basically saying, well, now that we have to contemplate these ideas, we simply can't move forward. And so, oh, well, now we've lost an experience for the children. And it's lazy. That's such lazy thinking because like what I was getting at before is like, if you're not okay with the optics, well then find another piece. Find something else. Trisha, you shared with us the trailer for the movie Chevalier, which is coming up, which is about a French Caribbean violin player who was in France, 18th century. (laughs) Yeah, because uh, the revolution must have happened right after this. But like, you know what? It's a story about a black man uh, existing in France at that time. And that's a new story that I haven't heard. If, If 
this is the moment that we're in. Like, do we need another Amadeus movie? No, we don't, right? We, we just don't. So don't mount that. So I don't know, Jason, like your kids, like, I'm sure Moana's great, right? But maybe they should think about that. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not prescribing anything. Feel, yeah, and I saying. don't feel super strongly. I think, again, if it were me, I'd say, you know what, let's do something else. But, you know, I think it'll be fine. I think we'll enjoy it. You know, part of it is being very careful. I mean, I think 30 years ago, you could imagine caricatures, uh, right? Like a white yep, sure. actor, actress, child playing a, a caricature of a character of color. I think my kid's school's very sensitive. They have black female head of school. Like, I am not worried about that. I think it'll be great. Let but, me ask you a but question. It, but ultimately, I think ideally they would have mounted this, as you said. Chris. If they were doing a play about, like, you know, the adventures of Harriet Tubman, would that change your opinion about that, Jason? In what way? I mean, like, if they were just going to do colorblind casting for, you know, the adventures of Harriet Tubman at your kid's school, and, like, a white girl ends up being Harriet Tubman, does that change anything? Well, I guess, you know, my my opinion is I'd rather not see colorblind casting. And see, that, it doesn't mean it's got to be one-to-one, to use the phrase you used before, Chris. I'm not saying that, but, like, I think some, I don't know, sensitivity to the identity and the presentation of of the child and versus the character, I think is in order given everything today, that's my opinion. Okay, I have a point here. This is interesting. To your point, this is kind of like um, the James Bond thing, right? Right? Those are fictional characters. Fictional people, I feel, should have license to be played by anything, anyone, any any person, right? I agree. This is like the the Cinderella movie that came out in the nineties with Brandy. Yeah. yeah, I was like fine with that. Like, so I was like, these are not real people. This is they're not, not real people. They could be I any. think we don't have to explain how like these right, but just Asian for a child, second, what about the? Uh, but but I think I think and tell me if you disagree. There's a distinction though between that and a a white person playing a historically black character. Well, I think that's listen, what Trish is getting. At, that's what I'm right? saying. The, right, the I'm characters sorry, exist in real time. If the uh, Harry Tubman is a real person, so I think it's fine for that person to be played by a black person. Um, James Bond, I believe, is a fictional created character. It's an amalgamation of other things. Listen, I had to ask because people are so sacred about it that I was like, is this a real person that existed? I mean, people like, are sacred about Bud Light, so that's the world do, we live in. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, it doesn't but take I much think, for people to get pressure. Yeah. And so for me, what's interesting is, is, is if you are going to make James Bond black, then play with what that means. Play with the fact that he can't enter certain spaces and do the things that a white James Bond will do. Or if that's James interesting Bond was a woman. to me. If it was or if Jamelia it, if, Bond, that's yeah. it's a completely different story. And it's, to have that, to tell that story with her just going about as James Bond would, would just be so And that's awkward. what's boring. It's yeah. weird. Okay, okay, but white person as Shaft. Shaft is a fiction. Don't tell character. that story. Like, or, okay. don't no, I'm with story. you, but I agree. Like, I, what I, The distinction I'm making is I am more comfortable with a black actor playing a James Bond with the modifications you're saying, Tricia. Than a white actor playing Shaft. Like I'm I I well, you know I'd rather not do that. Then you know what? Play Shaft. I'm not play Shaft either. And, play Shaft and let's play Shaft and let's really take it to the nth degree. But the problem for me with those things is they never interrogate the privilege or lack of privilege of the characters. That's the they thing. just like, insert what a character. Shaft look like? what, what or what is that? what is the charge for a white shaft? Like it would what look it, like Eminem or Macklemore. 
No, no, no. I don't mean who. I mean, what would the, <laughs> no, 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 what no, would the no, premise no, but I'm be? Saying, like, that's the so... problem. It would likely be blackface. That is what I'm saying. But and you know what? And then it would and then it would be wonderfully educational. Because the problem here is, and I, I, I think this is the issue. The issue is that you have had these white characters exist in on film as if they represent an ideal, a holy an ideal. And then when you ask yourself if you can insert a person of color in it, then there's this reckoning that the person is that the character is actually not an ideal. It's just a white person in this frame. Only when you have to try to insert folks of color in it, do people become very sensitive to what white characters are allowed to do on screen. Mm -hmm. And it's actually that interrogation that's interesting. But oftentimes the people aren't adept enough who want to try casting folks of color in certain roles, they're not adept enough to interrogate what it actually had meant for that character to have been white all along. Mm -hmm. And that's usually the challenge. And that's usually where people balk at it because they're suddenly aware that, oh my God, if I put this black person here, black people don't do this in certain spaces because not because black people can't, but they're not allowed to. And so your piece suddenly be becomes to your your piece suddenly has to interrogate the very society and the very underpinning of your society and that's that's labor that some folks cannot do as as filmmakers they mm -hmm. just don't have the they don't have the bandwidth let's just say <laughs> i mean in, in wrapping this up i just want to say like <laughs> that question's going to haunt me i don't know why you launched that question at the end of the segment because now i'm going to think with white shaft i i have to say like if you're sitting around great being title. like, white shaft. <laughs> if you're sitting around being like, let's do shaft with a white guy, unironically, like if that's your thing, the story of shaft is as rooted, rooted in blackness as James yeah. Bond is as rooted in whiteness. So yeah. if you're going to do a white shaft, then it has to be a white shaft, which would just be like, I guess, like a police or private investigator procedural like we've all seen because there's no flavor to it. But even James Bond, like not to say that whiteness equals no flavor, James Bond, the concept of James Bond, his whiteness allows him access to do all these spaces, bed all these women, like that, he's very much operates as a white person. So to your point, Trisha, have a black James Bond would require that all to be re-examined. It would be a different kind of movie. Similarly, a white shaft, like, I don't I don't know what that means. It, I mean, let's assume that these producers and stuff aren't trying to be wildly offensive and do something like blackface or black scent with a white person with like the 1970s funk soundtrack that just won't land well, right? So putting that aside, like anything that they tried to do, it's like, as long as you interrogate it, and if you're not comfortable with where you land, tell a new story. It doesn't have to be white shaft. It could just be like some white detective who, you know, doesn't take no shit. Like you could do that. Just tell a new story. If, if you don't have enough Polynesians to Mount Moana and you're not comfortable with how that might be received, tell another story. Look at your demographics, figure out. Or here's, here's an idea, new art, write something. You know what I mean? Like figure it out. Anyway, those are our thoughts. But uh, now it's time for a media recommendation, which is something you've seen heard, read, or experience that you think other people should see, hear, read, or experience. But before we get to that, Trisha, what did you drop in the chat What does right that now? mean, Trisha? <laughs> well, I think I, I'm offended, but I'm not sure why. No, Can, you, can know you explain what, what just happened you know in your I mind and in the chat? Because I went to look up Shaft, right? Because of course I'm an immigrant, so 
there are a lot of things that are very American and very Black American that I sometimes have to interrogate. So I'm like, mm -hmm. what is sort of like the cultural landscape of Shaft, like Shaftness, right? So then I was looking at it on Wikipedia says between the release of the first film Shaft and the novel Shaft Among the Jews. And I was like, well, what is that? You know what I mean? So it That's does the name mean, of the novel, Shaft yeah, Among the Shaft Jews. Shaft Among okay. the Jews. So oh I think you goodness. should probably look what? up Shaft Among the Jews because I think, interestingly enough, it sounds to me as if that that character, that fictional character has some richness and exploration around identity, right? And so, you know, so, I mean, that just, that's really interesting to me. So then... <laughs> Did you see the description? I've never heard of this. Shaft is hired by Hasidic Jews to investigate occurrences concerning diamonds. Oh my God, run, don't walk. Oh my God, I gotta go get it now. Whose media recommendation is this gonna be? Jason? <laughs> Can we all first? Can we unified like recommend? I just I have to go find it. I'm, I have to find this novel. Now. But do you see the novel was already doing work, right? That novel was incorporating other communities in the Shaft universe. You know, you know what's fascinating? A white man has written as is the author of Shaft. Oh, I didn't know that. Is that right? Ernest so Hemingway. Yeah. So there's so much. I mean, is he even Jewish? I mean, this now, now this is, oh this is a whole, this is a whole nother thing. You know what? I I always say, we'll do this and talk about it. I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to say like, I would love for one or all of us just to skim this book. I'm just very curious about the ideas or the original shaft. Like, cause it's going to tell us a lot about what a white Jason's person. Jason's already got it ordered. <laughs> a white person in the late sixties thought. Oh, look, there's an article. Like, Ernest Tideman, the white man behind the black hero. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well. Uh, okay, well, what a way to Link. start off recommendations. Ah! So, who wants to go first? I will go. I will say I recently discovered a comedian I had not been aware of, Ramesh Ranganathan. From, uh, he's from England. His family's originally from Sri Lanka. He has a Netflix special called The Cynic. I watched it twice. I loved it. I now like look up all this stuff on YouTube. Just hilarious. I mean... You know what? And I'll tell you, you two have heard me many times with my profanity about my family life, uh, as much as I love my kids, how they're MFs and whatnot. He I, he has mastered that art. I mean, the way he talks about his wife and kids, it is it is hilarious and fantastic and real. Oh, so good. So you vibed with him because he was abusive to his kids on stage. Oh, okay. my God. Let I mean, there's you. this part he's like, you know, he's like, we had the first kid and the first kid's perfect. And he's like, we were telling ourselves, oh, because we've done this right. We set boundaries and we, you know, reinforce things. And then he's like, and then the second one's a total dickhead. And like, <laughs> that sounds like you. It's so good. It's <laughs> so good. Oh, God. All right. Well, there, there it is. Check it out. Trisha, what do you have? I mean, I think you've already given a little bit of a head nod, but I may as well fulfill it and say that I um, I have seen Chevalier and I would recommend it. And um, and it is um, a biographical drama about a real French Caribbean musician by the name of um, Joseph Bologna, I think is how we would pronounce the last name. And he was at times called the Black Mo Mozart. And he is obviously the son of a white man and a, um, a black slave. So he was of mixed birth. And so it is, um, and he's sort of lost to the pages of history because of the way his story 
unfolded. And in many ways, this is a rediscovery of who this person is. And so that's sort of what I like about it, is the rediscovering of someone who had been lost to history because of um, the nature of his tale and his apparently confrontation with the the queen. So a good story, fabulous to watch, wonderful. I will say I wanted it to go on longer, which is rare wow, today for a movie? to have a movie like that. Like I'm like, oh, more, please. Maybe it should have been a series, which is always my thing when I watch a movie. I know. You know, I, and I just want to highlight and underline the fact that like, yeah, you want to tell a story about 18th century France and include Black people. Well, this is a way to do it actually find people of color in in history in time because guess what we were already always there that we were always there always you know black people queer people women were always in the rooms all the time so just tell their stories instead of trying to like color swap or gender swap or like just tell other stories um speaking of stories my recommendation is the movie Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Uh, I This movie was made for me. I started playing Dungeons and Dragons when I was seven years old. And by the time I was 12, I had read what would be probably the equivalent of like six or seven dictionaries worth of information. Dungeons and Dragons taught me how to read. It taught me how to tell stories. It taught me how to speak in public um, or to speak to people. Uh, it was It was pivotal for me. I will share, first of all, I want to, I'm going to share a moment that I had with the movie. It was personal to me, but in general, the movie is fantastic. It is the perfect form of what a movie should be. It's funny enough. It's dramatic enough. It's just heartfelt enough. It's total popcorn movie. You will enjoy it. Even if you're not a total nerd like me, this is Can the, I just co-sign real quick. I just want to yeah. co-sign the six of us went to see it. It is the first time in history. All six of us loved it. Agree. I will, I will share something with you, uh, which you have to be a nerd to know. The character Simon in the film, uh, without getting too nerdy on you, is uh, he says he's the great, great, great grandson of a particular person. The person is never named, but I know because I've been reading these stories for 40 years, that's Elminster, who is the most powerful and most important character in that entire story. And so he's not named, but when he puts on the helm, he envisions his great, great, great grandfather. And when he came on the screen and Elminster was black, I burst into tears to think that these stories, I've been reading these stories for so long and to have the most powerful, important person reimagined as a black person was a, of these stories that mean so much to me was a so incredibly moving, powerful and meaningful. Representation matters people, that's all I'm trying to say. So if, if nine-year-old me, because Elminster was always drawn as a white guy with a really long beard, like if it was, if nine-year-old me, <laughs> the most powerful wizard, in all of the realms of the black guy, I don't know. Maybe that would have done something to the way I thought about myself or fantasy stories in general. So check it out. You just like you literally won't have a bad time. Like it's like you won't have a bad time. So black actors can't be pink ladies, but can be the most. Okay, got it. Elminster is not a real person. <laughs> he could, ladies aren't he, real people. He could, what are you talking he about? could have been a unicorn. The thing is, it's that there's no part of this that references real world. You know, he's not African. Do you know what I mean? Like there's no part of this which references the real world, right? Different universe, different geography, wildly different history. It's not picking and choosing what parts of history it wants to use to tell a story. That's the difference. All right, everyone. Well, that's it. That's our morning edition. So listeners, was that the best episode you ever heard? Um, I didn't like it. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I was about to say, Chris, we're still recording. You usually save those editorial comments. I, uh, after you stop recording. 
guys, we really didn't do a good job this time. Oh, no, we were fine. But I really loved how you brought in the Dungeons and Dragons theme at the very end, wrapping it all up so nicely. And this Jason acted as spoiler by denying the value of what you just claimed as a young child looking at the most I know. famous character. Jason was like, screw you and your tears, you hypocritical, hypocritical little bitch. That's what Jason just said. Directed your hypocrisy at Greece. Oh, God. You know what? And on that note, everybody, <laughs> bye. Bye. Such a contentious note.